This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 120-120. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to find out more about your readers. And this is a critical topic, finding out more about your readers. Why? Because you, the better you know your readers, the better you can connect with them through your writing and through your marketing and all that kind of stuff. I think about it. When you really connect with an author, when you really feel like the two of you are friends, you are more prone to promote that author. You're more prone to read that author's books. You're more prone to be a vocal fan for that author. So what we're going to dive into today is how to get to know your readers, how to make them feel like you guys are friends. Not feel, you are friends, but, but ways that you can connect with them beyond maybe what you've been doing so far. But before that, uh, Jim, uh, you're looking a little bit peckish, like you've been in a cave for the last month. Uh, any news to announce? <laughs> yes, I have been in my cave for the last the last couple of months. Yes, Thomas, I finished my novel, sent it into my publisher, so that is off my plate for at least a couple of weeks, and it feels very good. <laughs> And this this is as of like last night at 11:55 p.m., right? You know. It was not 11:55. It was 11:54. <laughs> 6 minutes to spare. <laughs> 6 minutes to spare. That's right. I I was actually thinking about starting a, a publishing company uh, built around the principles of agile project management, like agile software development, and one of the things that we would do is like if you miss it, if our in this fantasy publishing company I'm forming in my head, authors who miss deadlines just get let go. Like the deadlines are real and it's like, you're no longer with us. You can take your manuscript somewhere else. <laughs> Goodbye. Right. Because it's all built around moving quickly and like, cause there's this whole like series of things that need to happen and you know, everybody does their deadlines and everything goes quick, like building a publishing company around speed rather than around quality and about just outputting tons of books, more like the indie model. Uh, so anyway, I, I it, it's just a fantasy company. I think that could be a TV. That could be a no. That could be a TV show. That I, I can see that as a TV show already. <laughs> this cutthroat publisher is <laughs> like, sorry, my dad died. I don't care. You're fired. <laughs> You're gone. Awesome. Uh, all right. So, but seriously, I, getting to know your readers is so important because if you are missing the mark, if you're writing for the wrong person. It can ruin your writing, it can ruin your marketing. And the most common wrong person that authors will write for is their editor. They'll get afraid uh, of you know what they're writing and that fear will enter their writing. Instead of writing a fun story for a specific real person or a persona, or writing a nonfiction book that's answering the questions of a specific real person, they're just trying to make their editor happy. And suddenly you've mo- you've switched from becoming an author to becoming a student turning in a paper. <laughs> and the quality of the writing and the marketing falls through the floor. Uh, so uh, if you're writing nonfiction, it's so important to be able to answer specific questions that people are asking. And if you're writing fiction, you need to be able to write the kind of story that your readers are wanting to read. And the only way for you to know that is for you to know who your readers are. Thomas, let's just for a second, let's go back to your your uh, supposition that uh, you end up writing for your editor. This, if if you've had multiple books written, or let's just say you haven't had a bunch of books published yet, but you have a lot of beta readers. It can happen. It sneaks into my head. This is the book I just finished was my 10th book. And as I was writing it, I had to constantly go, no, wait a minute. Your editor was giving you feedback on that opinion, but it is not gospel. You do not have to write. You are not writing this book 
for her. You're writing the book that's in your head bouncing around that cannot uh, keep from getting out onto the paper. So keep that in mind. So that's a really good point. So anyway. Yeah, if you want to be a bestseller, it's not about thrilling your editor. It's about thrilling your readers. <laughs> so you might be able to win some awards on a book that doesn't get read by hardly anyone if you thrill your editor, but you've got to thrill the readers. you got you to do. put in that you fan do. service. Um, and, 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 and I know we're going to get to this a little bit later in the episode, but just let me say I've had a major uh, shift in my attitude because I'm someone that when I teach writers how to do the craft of fiction, I say, do not write for your readers. And I still believe that. You have to take what you are struggling with the universal things that everyone struggles with that you're struggling with you have to look deep look deep within yourself and and that's the subject matter that you want to write about now i still agree with that that that's where the most powerful stories come from the things you are struggling with yourself the things that are going on in your life however you do have to keep your readers in mind and let me get real specific about this this book the one i just turned in thomas this is the first time i have ever used a female POV as the main character. That's a big shift. So why did I do that? Why did I, for the first time in my career, write a book where the main character is female? It's because 60% of my readers are female. That's just a smart move. I can still write from the deep places in my heart, but it's a big shift for women who are picking up that book. That's right. And uh, we're going to tell you how to know what percentage of your readers are female. We've got some tricks. Ah, that's good. That's good. In fact, let's get to that right now. We All have right, some good. tools, some technical tools. So we're not just going to tell you, you need to know who your readers are. We have some tools that you can use right now to find out who your readers are. And the first and perhaps most powerful is Facebook Insights. So if you have a Facebook page, like a business page, an author page, not a personal page, but a business page, you actually get statistics from Facebook as to where people are living, what cities they're in, uh, what languages they speak, what countries they're in, how old they are, and uh, what their genders are, which is very useful. So I was looking this up, and 66% of my fans are women, and the biggest block for me are women between 25 and 35, which makes sense since my book was about dating and relationships. Who reads the most books about dating and relationships? Young women, <laughs> but not women in college, women who are out of college and starting to, you know, get into online dating. It's that primary market uh, for online dating. Whereas novel marketing, it's 70% of our listeners are women. In fact, one out of five of our listeners are specifically women between 45 and 55. That is our primary demographic. Now, what's interesting about this, I wouldn't have known that from the messages that we get through our website, people sending in questions. We probably, I would say probably 50-50 of the questions we get are from men. So we have this big block of silent women who are not communicating to us. We wouldn't know that they existed or that y'all listened to the show uh, unless we had these Facebook insights letting us know. It's like, hey, you need to be tailoring, tailoring your message to a 50-year-old uh, woman because that's the heart of your audience. And you don't have to, we're not saying you have to email us. We're just, we're just saying we know, we know you're out there. Stay silent if you want to. We're just pointing out how important it is to realize that just based on the feedback you get is not necessarily who your audience is. That's right. Although if you want to send us questions, we'd love to answer. Yeah, we would love to answer your question. <laughs> we're missing the mark with the show. We need you to let us know. <laughs> so uh, go to novelmarketing.com. Click the ask a question button. Doesn't cost you any money. And who knows, you might hear an answer on a future show. 
so, and then Author Media, it's even more. 73% of Author Media's fans are women, which makes sense. Most readers, most writers are women. Uh, so the second tool uh, to get to know your readers is Google Alerts. So Facebook Insights is great for telling you who your Facebook fans are. Google Alerts is great for telling you what's going on on the internet, on the open internet. Uh, so Google is constantly looking for new pages. They have an army of billions of robots reading new web pages and chronicling them. You know, think of this like a bunch of scribes writing on stone tablets, but there's like a billion of them and they're digital tablets. And what's cool is that Google can send you an email. Anyone talks about you on the open internet. I was just going through this uh, earlier today, and there's an Estonian website that's talking about my book on courtship and relationships, uh, and I had to translate it to read it, but Google sent me there. Uh, to do that, you just go to Google slash alerts, or just Google, do a Google search for Google alerts, and you put in your name. Uh, if you have a somewhat common name, I put your name in quotes, uh, and then I would also do a Google alert for your book title in quotes. So the reason uh, you do it in quotes, my book, Courtship in Crisis, I don't want to get emailed anytime somebody has a post that has the word courtship and has the word crisis in it. I want it, that phrase, courtship in crisis, all together. There's a good chance they're talking about my specific book. And now I get emails anytime somebody is mentioning me online, which gives me an idea of what my readers are saying about me, whether they like it, whether they don't like it. Um, and what I'm finding is that a lot of people are citing me in very academic ways, like I'm in the footnotes of their blog post. Uh, so it's a very specific kind of audience. Um, so, it's, you know, I have several audiences for my book. I have the young 20-something women who are reading it, along with many other relationship books, but also like researchers and academics are reading my book and they're using it and like citing it in an academic way, which I wouldn't have known if I hadn't have been on Google um, and getting these Google alerts. And not that any of us would use both an author name and um, a different name like James L. Rubart and Jim Rubart. Not that any of us would do that. But if we did do that, we could go to Google Alerts and we could put in uh, sign up for both names. So you will get alerts on, on when either of those names is mentioned. That's right. And that's a great way of, to, of listening to your readers because uh, they're not going to email you and say, hey, I just wrote a blog post about you. Uh, but it will show up on Google. Uh, the third tool you can use to listen to your readers and get to know them better is Google Analytics. Uh, so hopefully you have Google Analytics on your website. It's free to add, and it will let you know uh, the visitors of your website, where they are coming from, <laughs> and lots of information, technical information about them, what operating system they're using, what browser are they using, uh, but more usefully, what pages on your website are they viewing, and how much time are they spending on those pages. This, If you're blogging, this is invaluable to know when a blog post is resonating with an audience and when it is not. Um, so it's hard to tell from comments, because sometimes a controversial post will get a lot of comments without necessarily getting a lot of viewers. And you may have another post that's ranking well on Google or spreading on social media, and you're not seeing comments emerge from that, but you're getting thousands of visits every month to that post. And the only way to know is to add Google Analytics to your website. If you're using WordPress, there's several great free plugins for adding Google Analytics, and you just set it and you forget it. <laughs> and you'll get this nice dashboard right there in WordPress where you can see all of this great demographic information of who's coming to your website. Remember, when people feel great about a blog post, they don't usually say anything. When they feel bad about it, they don't like it, they are vocal. When I used to work in radio, we'd get a negative caller, and that represented one caller. 
when we got a positive call, that represented 50 people who did not call. So you can get your, uh, well, I guess you can get skewed in, in, in your reactions, what you think the reactions are. Google Analytics can show you what the true reactions are. And you may be saying, oh, that's not true with me. You know, I leave lots of positive comments. And I'm like, oh, really? When was the last time you left us any feedback on this show? <laughs> so uh, we often get very little feedback or our very skewed feedback. Uh, so we, we, I challenge you on that assumption. So anyway, the fourth uh, tool for getting to know your readers, and this is a way to get them to know them in a very personal way, is Goodreads reviews. Uh, so Amazon reviews are often anonymous or semi-anonymous. You don't typically get a lot of information about the person who's reviewing you. Maybe they have a profile. Maybe they've uploaded a photo, but it's very uncommon. Whereas with Goodreads, it pulls in a lot of the information from Facebook. So you can click on a reviewer and just do this with your five and four-star reviews. Don't try to figure out what your haters have in common. (laughs) That's not going to help you. It's just going to put you in a dark place. But go to your five-star reviews and take a look. Uh, For most authors their readers are very similar to themselves. If you're a 35-year-old man, there's a good chance that most of your readers are going to be other 35-year-old men because most people write for themselves, uh, which can work and people get success that way. You have to be like in tune with the universe, though, for writing for yourself to be a good representative sample. But if you're willing to write for someone different than yourself, you can open yourself up to underserved markets because there's lots of communities where no one from that community is writing for themselves. And so you can write for that other audience. But you can see who's leaving reviews. Are they people that are a similar age and ethnicity and gender to you? Or are they very different? And looking at a photo will let you know that. And it will help you know who you need to tune your message for and who you need to listen to. The fifth way to really tune in and see who your readers are, and more importantly, what is resonating deeply with your readers, is to look at what's underlined in Kindle. We've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again. When I go to my Kindle, uh, because of course I have all my own books downloaded on my Kindle, and I go to an underlined passage and I see that 907 people have underlined the same passage, I go, Oh, this, this is impacting people. This is a theme that I need to explore further, or this is the kind of writing that they resonate with deeply, or, oh my gosh, maybe this gives me another story idea. That is a wealth of information that's right at your fingertips. So now you have these five tools. You've got uh, Google uh, Alerts, Facebook Insights, Google Analytics, Goodreads Reviews, and Kindle Underline Passages. And what we want you to do is then take all of this information that you've collected and put together a persona, a fictional representation of your audience. And this forces you to get very specific. So instead of writing to women between the ages of 45 and 55, because there is no woman with that specific age, you're writing to a specific woman who's 50 years old. She's specifically a woman, and she's specifically 50 years old, or she's specifically 51 years old. And you create like a fictional person, a persona. This is something used all the time in business, uh, business writing, where you get a stock photo of this person, you put them above your monitor, and you're writing for that specific person. And it makes your writing clearer, it makes it more compelling, and it doesn't tune out. No one knows that you're writing specifically to her, uh, and it forces you to be... Uh, very focused. We do this even when we're developing plugins. There is one, and we don't even have a fictional person. We have, there is one author, and I'm not going to say who she is, but she uses my book table, and we go to her website 
all the time to see how she's using it. And anytime we have a question about should we add this feature, we ask if it would make sense to her because she is the perfect representation of our like typical user, uh, or at least of one of our, we have two kinds of people we developed the plugin for. One is this one author. She's got half a dozen to a dozen books. And then our other user is like an agent or a publishing company with like a thousand books. So we have some features specifically to handle that many books, but it forces us to make our plugin better, make our marketing better. It works with marketing and software development. It also works for writing your book, especially if you're writing nonfiction. You want to answer specific questions that specific people are asking. And to give you an example, uh, Harry Potter would probably be the best one because a lot of people say, well, gosh, my book isn't just for a specific person. It's for a wide audience. It's for a vast audience. Great. Good. That, that's, that's awesome if that happens. But start with a very, very narrow focus. J.K. Rowling started with 10 to 12-year-old boys. That's a very narrow focus. And yes, it expanded to the rest of the world, but it started at a, with a very, very narrow focus. That's right. And if, if you think that having a narrow focus will limit your spread, you don't understand marketing. You need to have a red dot on the center of the bullseye. That doesn't mean you don't love the rest of the target, but having that focus makes you more effective. And you just have to, there, I don't know of a single marketer who says anything different, who's a professional marketer, because the reality is that focus really is powerful. And if you can't win the bullseye, you can't win the first white ring. And if you can't first the, win the first white ring, you're not going to win the dark ring after that. And you, you have to start that ripple somewhere. And if you're throwing pebbles all over the pond, you're not going to get the same ripple as you will if you throw a boulder right on the part of the pond that you want to start the big ripple. And so you need to have that focus rather than spreading your energies around, oh, well, anyone could read my book. False, false, false. There's no book that's popular with everyone. You know, the most popular book in the world is probably the Bible. What's the most hated book in the world? Probably also the Bible. So you're not going to do better than the Bible. <laughs> so Thomas, you understand firearms. Let's give one more metaphor or analogy and then we'll move on. But you you understand firearms. So if, if uh, what's more effective, um, a shotgun or a rifle, if you're trying to do some damage? If, if you're trying to hit a target, the rifle focuses the, all of the energy behind just one bullet. Or put another way, what's more effective, a firecracker or a rifle round? So it's the same amount of gunpowder. It's the same stuff. But one spreads that energy out everywhere evenly, the firecracker, whereas the rifle round focuses all of the energy in one specific direction. One amuses children, one changes the world. So you want to be the rifle round, not the firecracker. This episode of Novel Marketing has been brought to you by the five-year plan uh, for being a best-selling author. I was on the phone yesterday with an industry insider, and I was bemoaning the fact that we had priced this entirely wrong. And I was like, you know, just like, what would you price this at? And I hadn't told him anything about it. And he's like, well, tell me about the course. And I was like, well, and how much content does it have? I was like, well, it's got probably 10, 20 hours of audio. It helps people for five years to become best-selling authors. It's guaranteed to work. And he paused for a little bit. And he's like, yeah, I'd price that around four or $500. And I'm like, yep, we blew it. So Whoops. <laughs> we were way, way under that, uh, which is why the price is going up. Uh, so, But as a listener of the podcast, we're giving you lots of heads up to get the course before the price goes up. The price is going to go up on January 31. We're probably going to double the price uh, again because we were just so low. <laughs> so here's your chance to get it. Um, it really does work. We're getting great feedback from people going through the course. If you feel like the advice that you get is all over the map and you need to know what to do next, 
this is the course for you. It's step-by-step from having never written a word in your life to becoming a best-selling author over a five-year period. It's not easy. It's a lot of hard work, but it is guaranteed to work. And you can find out more about it at novelmarketing.com. You've been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Humstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.